993 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Wednesday holiday edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen. 704-570-1110. And guys, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest and breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. Okay, so today is Thanksgiving Eve. Today is also the 60th anniversary of JFK being shot. We all know about that stuff. But today is also the one-year anniversary of pilot Chip Tighe and also meteorologist Jason Myers that died tragically in a helicopter crash one year ago today, just right beside I-77 South, about maybe a mile or so, half a mile south of the Tybola exit heading south. And there's a lot behind this story, and we're just going to revisit it a little bit. But WBTV did a really, really great job in interviewing Jason's wife and just remembering the day as it happened exactly one year ago. And I'm also going to talk to you a little bit about some of the things that happened behind the scenes and how, unfortunately, I was directly involved in this. So here is the WBTV special report that they did on the one-year anniversary of the pilot Chip Tag and also the meteorologist Jason Myers, who both died in a plane, in a helicopter t- uh, crash exactly one year ago today. On November 22nd last year, we lost meteorologist Jason Myers and helicopter pilot Chip Tyag in a crash along I-77. Jillian Myers, Jason's wife, sat down to talk with us about Jason and his legacy. And tonight, her story, one year in the making, a year Jillian and her four children never saw coming. The thing you probably get asked all the time is, how are you doing? How do you answer that? Well, I want my innocence back. Nothing smells like Jason anymore. And, you know, our 20th wedding anniversary was in May, and our wedding song was, I will be here. And he wasn't here for it. One question in and you hear it. Jillian Myers is well thought, well spoken, and intentional. She loves words and uses them wisely. What I'm the most proud of him for was the way that he loved me and the way that I loved him. I mean, a soulful, surrendering kind of love, the kind that makes sparkle. That's that's good spouse keeping. Jillian says Jason was a romantic. She says this while sitting inside the Duke Mansion in Charlotte. It's here in its gardens where Jason surprised Jillian in 2020 for their 17th wedding anniversary by recreating his original proposal in the Duke Gardens in Durham. Only this time he had their four kids all in on the surprise. Vows handwritten on torn notebook paper and a new ring. He got down on one knee, he had this in his pocket, but most of it was memorized. Jillian, I want to spend my life with you. Through the ups and downs, my love will be unconditional. She still wears the ring. Wearing this just somehow still still makes the loss more palatable for whatever reason. That vulnerability you just heard, her uncertainty about what she feels and why she's in this spot is what is so authentic about this 41-year-old widow. She admits the unknown is scary. The past year is foggy and her faith is being tested. What would 20 have looked like if he were here? What would 40 have looked like? Dare get mad? Of course. Of course. I don't know. I feel incredibly robbed of what should have been. Yet, every day, Jillian keeps going. 
I'm showing up big in every single void because that's what moms can do. And I'm showing up for those kids. I cheer louder on the sidelines than I would have before because it's for both of us. A year of weighty life decisions, many around Andrew, Lily, Luke, and Lydia. What do you see in your kids, each one individually, mm. that reminds you of Jason, that he left them in them? Mm. What a great question. I love that. So Andrew, our oldest, he's, he's quite loyal and very responsible incredibly hardworking, and that's a tremendous part of Jason's legacy. And then our daughter, Lily, she brings all the fun and all the charisma, and she knows how to have a good time. She has the most social energy of any of them, and she's quite a conversationalist. Luke reminds me so much of his dad. He um, is my nighttime tuck-in every night. He's my good morning hug. And the ways that he's stepped right into being the man of the house. Hmm. There's a lot to be said there. Lydia, she's intentional and she's thoughtful. And she and her dad had an incredibly special relationship. Inside the Myers home, family photos line the stairwell. Smiling beach photos show six silhouettes. But keep going up. Near the top are newer photos from this past year. Now, a family of five. There's tremendous life that's been out there. This, all of this has been public, right? But there's very much a private element to it too. And when, in the absence of tears, there's physical grief that happens. There is therapy. There are also some bright spots in the past 12 months. One tangible positive shines in the living room. I mean, that Emmy is pretty special. Jason was part of a WBTV team that won this Emmy in February, four months after the accident, for coverage and dedication to St. Jude Children's Hospital. I don't know if anybody's earned one before after their passing, but... Um, it's a fixture in our home for sure. St. Jude, he would have loved this Emmy. The dream home this year had nods to Jason throughout its design and raised record-breaking money Jesse for sick Leach children. Both things North Jillian Carolina. and all four kids celebrated. What the public knows is that he was great at his career. That was in so many ways his dream. But I can't help but feel like, pretty sure a big part of his dream was being married to me because we knew each other for an early age, and I I know it was a big part of my dream to have him, for sure. Jason, the people person, Jillian, the wordsmith. She is now trying to be both. An introvert who expresses herself beautifully in journals, on laptops, on Instagram, and a someone who gets out there a little more. She's making herself be intentional, not just with words, but people. Because that's what Jason did. He cared about people, remembered people, smiled at people, and talked to everyone. So, uh, yeah, we're having fun out here. I'm leading our family through uncharted terrain. There's, there's no map. There's, there's no guide. It's not a moving on. It's never a moving on. But the will to keep moving forward, this is a chapter of a story that I didn't want to be mine. Yet through all of that, 
I'm pointing our kids, I'm pointing myself to the firm foundation of knowing that a perfect place is where Jason is. Like I said, WBTV did a really nice job talking to the widow. And look, the widow has sued a lot of people over this. The companies and other people, I don't think they've sued the ownership station of WBTV. I could be wrong, but I don't think she has. But she did sue a lot of the people that rent out the helicopters and the helicopter maintenance and all of that. And odds are she's going to win. And especially after all the NTSB stuff comes out. So like a horrible situation those young children just a couple of days before thanksgiving like I, I i can't even imagine and nor can any of you that's ever not i mean because none of us have been in that situation but she actually took the time to talk to you know wbtv about the situation she didn't have to she didn't have to do that but she did and we are very grateful as viewers of the station that she did that all right so when we come back I want to talk about the actual role that I played in all of this, but it's not a role that I relish, and unfortunately, I actually had to be a part of it. So we're going to take you behind the scenes of exactly what happened a year ago and how all this came about. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to a Wednesday night edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen. WBT Brett Jensen here with you on this Wednesday night of Breaking with Brett Jensen, 704-570-1110. And guys, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest in breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. Okay, so we just heard about the big long report that WBTV did with the widow of Jason Myers. Now, again, Jason Myers was the meteorologist that died in the WBTV helicopter crash exactly one year ago today. The pilot of that helicopter was Chip Tag. But unfortunately, unfortunately, I played a role in this. Small one, but a role nonetheless. And here's how all that went down. Let me take you behind the scenes a little bit. So it's November 22nd, exactly one year ago. And I'm in the, I believe it's a Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm in the dog food aisle, you know, around lunchtime or whatever time it is. And at the Harris Teeter. And I've got a shopping cart and I'm looking for dog food and all that. And all of a sudden, my phone starts lighting up. And I get a couple of text messages from CMPD sources. And then I get a couple of phone calls from CMPD sources. I had about five different sources reach out to me all in the span of about two minutes. Actually, it's probably about 90 seconds. And they all said the same thing. Call me, you know, whatever. But when the pers one person called, I answered the phone. And again, I'm in the dog food aisle at Harris Teeter. And they said, Brett, a helicopter crash. It was WBTVs and two people are dead. And I said, wait, what? I was, Say that again. What? And he told me. And at that exact moment after he finished telling me, someone else called me. A, a, an actual more higher up the ranks was CMPD. So I said, hey, wait a minute, let me get this phone call. I'll call you right back. So the, the higher ranking person calls me, tells me the exact same thing. I leave my shopping cart in the aisle. I walk out the doors, I get into my car and the source is playing the loudspeaker or like the radio traffic 
over his phone on loudspeaker. So I'm listening in my car and I'm hearing a lot of the stuff. And then he's explaining the codes to me going, look, this was, this means this, this means deceased, this means that, whatever. So he's explaining the things to me. So I put out the tweet, a helicopter has crashed just off I-77, multiple first responders, because I also spoke to some people on the ambulance side and fire crews. Um, I, I just, a lot of people that I spoke to, I said, according to multiple first responders, two people are dead. I did not report that it was WBTV's helicopter and only for one simple reason. There's a lot of media that was upset that later in the day we reported it because, oh, we shouldn't do that to other media outlets. No, we should. It is a news story. It's a horrible news story, but it's a news story. It's a news story no different than if the CMPD helicopter had crashed. Would you have reported that? Would you have reported that the Atrium helicopter crashed? I I mean, of course you would have. And I would have reported the WBTV helicopter crashed. But I didn't for one simple reason. I wanted to see the helicopter with my own two eyes. Because I did not want, even though all the emergency personnel are saying it's WBTV's helicopter... I wanted to see it first. I just, I, I, I needed to see it, the confirmation with my own eyes before I put it out there. So when I tweeted that out, then a storm started happening in terms of newsrooms across Charlotte because they all follow me. Not bragging, it's just a fact. And I follow all the other big reporters as well. So they saw what I tweeted and it was from my tweet that a helicopter with two people have crashed is how WBTV learned. Now, I've had many, many, many people at WBTV tell me this over the year. Over the course of the year, told me that it was my tweet that alerted them to the fact that the helicopter had crashed. They didn't know whose helicopter, but they assumed it was theirs, and they could not get in touch with Chip or Jason. And that's how they realized it was there, through my tweeting. Now, I've also heard you know other people say, oh, well, the wife, you know, Jason's wife, found out because of your tweet as well or realized that a helicopter crash had happened because of your tweet. I don't know if that's true. I've never gotten any confirmation of that. I I, I tend to not believe that. Um, not because I don't want to, but just because it was in the middle of the day, she's probably at work, and it was probably the WBTV people that contacted her first that worked for WBTV. So unfortunately, I was the one that put that out there. I drive to where I'm being told that the helicopter is. I park my car at the McDonald's right there on Tyvola, where the Tyvola and um, I-77 is, right? So I park my car there and I walk through like, you know, the five lanes of traffic and I get on the bridge over I-77 on Tyvola and I'm facing south in the southbound lane. And I can see about a half a mile away, three quarters of a mile away, is a helicopter and all the first responders, ambulances and fire trucks and police, tons of police. And I'm zooming in and I can see, you know, I can sort of see that it's BTV. But I knew it was BTV, but I could sort of see that it was the helicopter. So I took a photo of the scene and all the crazy traffic because they closed the interstate and everyone was having to get off on Tyvola. And I took a couple of photos of the traffic and the I-77 South. I was the only reporter there, the only one. When I tweeted out, the location where I was and my view within about 20, 25 minutes, that's when all the other TV stations and reporters showed up to my exact location. Not by coincidence. They knew, I mean, they saw where I was and they all showed up there. Again, it's it's not something that 
you, you like doing, nothing that I ever wanted to do, nothing that I would ever think that I would have to do, but I did it and I News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Wednesday night of Breaking with Brett Jensen, 704-570-1110. And guys, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest in breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. Okay, so we just heard about the big long report that WBTV did with the widow of Jason Myers. Now, again, Jason Myers was the meteorologist that died in the WBTV helicopter crash exactly one year ago today. The pilot of that helicopter was Chip Tag. But unfortunately, unfortunately, I played a role in this. Small one, but a role nonetheless. And here's how all that went down. Let me take you behind the scenes a little bit. So it's November 22nd, exactly one year ago. And I'm in the, I believe it's a Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm in the dog food aisle, you know, around lunchtime or whatever time it is, and at the Harris Teeter. And I've got a shopping cart, and I'm looking for dog food and all that, and all of a sudden, my phone starts lighting up, and I get a couple of text messages from CMPD sources, and then I get a couple of phone calls from CMPD sources. I had about five different sources reach out to me all in the span of about two minutes. Actually, it's probably about 90 seconds. And they all said the same thing. Call me, you know, whatever. But when the pers- one person called, I answered the phone. And again, I'm in the dog food aisle at Harris Teeter. And they said, Brett, a helicopter crash. It was WBTVs and two people are dead. And I said, wait, what? I was, Say that again. What? And he told me, and at that exact moment after he finished telling me, someone else called me, an actual more higher up the ranks was CMPD. So I said, hey, wait a minute, let me get this phone call. I'll call you right back. So the, the higher ranking person calls me, tells me the exact same thing. I leave my shopping cart in the aisle. I walk out the doors, I get into my car, and the source is playing the loudspeaker or like the radio traffic over his phone on loudspeaker. So I'm listening in my car and I'm hearing a lot of the stuff. And then he's explaining the codes to me going, look, this was, this means this, this means deceased, this means that, whatever. So he's explaining the things to me. So I put out the tweet, a helicopter has crashed just off I-77, multiple first responders, because I also spoke to some people on the ambulance side and fire crews. Um, I, I just a lot of people that I spoke to. I said, according to multiple first responders, two people are dead. I did not report that it was WBTV's helicopter, and only for one simple reason. There's a lot of media that was upset that later in the day we reported it because, oh, we shouldn't do that to other media outlets. No, we should. It is a news story. It's a horrible news story, but it's a news story. It's a news story no different than if the CMPD helicopter had crashed. Would you have reported that? Would you have reported that the Atrium helicopter crashed? I, I mean, of course you would have. And I would have reported the WBTV helicopter crashed. But I didn't for one simple reason. I wanted to see the helicopter with my own two eyes. Because I did not want, even though all the emergency personnel are saying it's WBTV's helicopter... I wanted to see it first. I just, I, I, I needed to see it, the confirmation with my own eyes before I put it out there. So 
when I tweeted that out, then a storm started happening in terms of newsrooms across Charlotte because they all follow me. Not bragging, it's just a fact, and I follow all the other big reporters as well. So they saw what I tweeted, and it was from my tweet that a helicopter with two people have crashed is how WBTV learned. Now, I've had many, many, many people at WBTV tell me this over the year. Over the course of the year, told me that it was my tweet that alerted them to the fact that the helicopter had crashed. They didn't know whose helicopter, but they assumed it was theirs, and they could not get in touch with Chip or Jason. And that's how they realized it was there, through my tweeting. Now, I've also heard you know other people say, oh, well, the wife, you know, Jason's wife, found out because of your tweet as well or realized that a helicopter crash had happened because of your tweet. I don't know if that's true. I've never gotten any confirmation of that. I, I, I tend to not believe that. Um, not because I don't want to, but just because it was in the middle of the day. She's probably at work and it was probably the WBTV people that contacted her first that worked for WBTV. So unfortunately, I was the one that put that out there. I drive to where I'm being told that the helicopter is. I park my car at the McDonald's right there on Tyvola, where the Tyvola and um, I-77 is, right? So I park my car there and I walk through like, you know, the five lanes of traffic and I get on the bridge over I-77 on Tyvola and I'm facing south in the southbound lane. And I can see about a half a mile away, three quarters of a mile away is a helicopter and all the first responders, ambulances and fire trucks and police, tons of police. And I'm zooming in and I can see, you know, I can sort of see that it's BTV. But I knew it was BTV, but I could sort of see that it was the helicopter. So I took a photo of the scene and all the crazy traffic because they closed the interstate and everyone was having to get off on Tyvola. And I took a couple of photos of the traffic and the I-77 South. I was the only reporter there, the only one. When I tweeted out, the location where I was and my view within about 20, 25 minutes, that's when all the other TV stations and reporters showed up to my exact location. Not by coincidence. They knew, I mean, they saw where I was and they all showed up there. Again, it's it's not something that you you like doing. Nothing that I ever wanted to do. Nothing that I would ever think that I would have to do. But I did it. And I don't regret not reporting it was WBTV's helicopter. Not because, again, oh, it's some sacred thing with the media and we can't do that. No, 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 no. The only reason I didn't uh, report it was because I had not seen it with my own eyes yet. I trusted all my information, but when you're talking of something like this magnitude, I wanted to make sure I got the actual carrier right, that it wasn't CMPD, that it wasn't Atrium, that it wasn't WSOC, who also has a helicopter, or some other uh, non partnership helicopter, like partnership with a company or business in Charlotte. It could have been just an average helicopter or whatever. So I just wanted to make sure and I wanted to see that part with my own eyes. And yeah, there were a couple of TV stations that were upset about that, but I'm sorry. It would have been reported by everyone had it been CMPD or or anybody else or Atriums. So I, I look, that's just the business that we're in. And It's not personal, it's business, as they always say. And that is the business that we chose to be in. And I know it sounds like I'm quoting a movie, but it's it's absolutely true. All right, 
when we come back, there's no smooth transition for this. Let's get into some Frank Reich stuff because it was a heated press conference with in terms of the questions fired at the direction of Frank Reich. When we come back, right now, let's swing on over to the WBT Newsroom with Anna Erickson. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Thanksgiving Eve of Breaking with Brett Jensen. Getting ready to send you off into your holiday four-day weekend. And, of course, that's assuming that you didn't start your holiday last week Friday after work and took all week off. It is the busiest travel day or week, I should say, of the year. Okay, so now let's take a look at the Carolina Panthers. I know I talked a little bit about them yesterday and just about where they are as a team, some of the things that are the major issues. Well, Brett, duh, we know the offensive line and the receivers suck. Well, yes, but there's way more to it than that, and you can dive deep into the coaching and everything else. But And I also went through the record yesterday and the schedule, the remaining schedule yesterday, and said, look, a very big optimist could say four wins is possible, like sort of possible, like it would be maybe a stretch, but there are definitely two probable, or I should say not probable, but there are two definitely possible wins that the Carolina Panthers can win. I mean, there are two games that they can really, really have a good chance at winning. You know, they're probably going to be underdogs in both of them, but maybe by a point, two points here or there. But that's still enough to do it. But Frank Reich, the head coach, and he's come under a lot of national heat. I mean national, national heat. All the, the you know prognosticators, all the pundits, all the analysts, coaches, and former front office staff and former players are all just going after Frank Reich and saying that he's dead man walking. Well, he met with the media. And I want you to hear a lot of these questions because you know what? Kudos to the media because they did not pull any punches in this particular uh, press conference, especially, you know, David Newton of ESPN. Like, he really asked some very, very hard questions. And, look, good for them. Good for them. Because John Fox went through his basic entire career. He would ask a question, get asked a difficult question, never answer it, and then the reporters would never hold him accountable for giving a non-answer answer. So, you know, kudos to the you know the, the the people there, the men and the women there asking the questions yesterday, because some of these are really, really pointed questions. So I want you to hear the Frank Reich press conference in its entirety. Well, actually, I took a lot of pieces out, but I wanted you to hear the Frank Reich press conference and the actual questions, and not five second, thirty second, twenty second sound bites. So here's Frank Reich talking to the media. Uh, do you anticipate any changes? to the staff or the lineup as we get into this week? I've not talked, uh, no staff changes. Um, have not talked about the lineup. You know, I'll meet with uh, the coaches uh, this afternoon. You know, just that evaluation um, is always ongoing. You know, we'll kind of check the injuries uh, here in a couple hours. You know, kind of, we always do a, a meeting on the projected inactives, projected depth chart. Um, you know, that's always a Monday afternoon meeting. No staff changes, and, and I'm, what's your philosophy behind that? Because usually, when a team starts off with this record, somebody fans and, and people from the outside in would want to see a staff change. So why why have you made that decision not to go that route? I believe in our guys uh, strongly, um, so players and coaches. And so um, you know, when it comes to the players, you got 53 players. So sometimes you can you know they're all we're all one team. So one guy might play more, one guy might play less, um, but you believe in all those guys. And when it comes to the coaching staff, you know everybody has you got one per position. So um, you know feel feel great about the staff. Um, 
you know, we have to, you know, we're always looking to get better, every coach, starting with me, um, finding ways to get better. Did you Frank, learn any, but that's it, I'm sorry to cut you off. Did you learn anything with Marcus last year that maybe you've taken into these first few games with that kind of situation in mind? Um, fair question. Not sure I'm prepared to answer that. You know, like, um, yeah, you know, my thoughts, you know, this year are, hey, I got, I got belief in our guys. Um, you know, be patient, trust your guys. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. You know, um, you hired the people that you hired for a reason. Um, you've seen evidence of good stuff. Stick with it. Um, stick with it and be patient right. and believe. With the offensive struggles over the last three or four weeks, have you given any thought to bumping somebody like Thomas or, or Josh upstairs? Um, no. Um, you know, we have uh, Parks Frazier's upstairs. You know, Parks, you know, guys will tell you, is extremely bright. He's, you know, he's in a quarterback room all the time. So, um, you know, really, really think for right now that's that's the best thing I like our operation you know I think our operation on game day has been really good to be honest with you as far as coaches communication as far as um, the th you know the things that we're talking about um, I think that part of it's been good Did you have, have you had your weekly meeting with uh, David Tepper yet no no I mean right the normal our normal my normal Monday schedule is morning with the players and coaches and then usually it's not always the same, but um, typically it's Monday afternoon, Tuesday. Sometimes it varies week to week. Okay, we touched on the effectiveness of the O-line specific to the run game, looking at even sacks yesterday. What did you see in terms of what wasn't working or what may be the root cause? Um, you know, the sacks that we gave up, uh, a couple of them were just their players winning one-on-one -on -one matchups. Um, you know, and as we said, they have a couple of uh, you know, Micah Parsons is, is an elite player, and he won a, he won a couple matchups. Uh, there were a couple times where we had something, you know, double team scheduled on one, and we didn't kind of get that executed quite right. Uh, there was another one where, um, you know, we had a protection call that, that went from one thing to another and probably needed to be in the first one rather than the second one, so it didn't quite get what we wanted. Um, so, and then at the end of the day, you know, as, as a play caller, you always want to try to protect the guys too. Like late in the game, we got a bunch of sacks late in the game. I, I hate getting sacks anytime, but I hate getting sacks late in the game that is not a close, you know, that's that's not close because it reflects very poorly, you know, on the offensive line. And, you know, so as a play caller, when you get late in a game like that, you want to be smart about it. And we had the, the one series where we had three sacks in a row. Where there was 12 minutes to go in the game. It was 30 to 10, and uh, you know there was still just enough time in the game where I felt like I had to be aggressive and call passes down the field to see what we could get. And it just it was unfortunate. We got three consecutive sacks on those three plays, um, but we need to we need to as a group, uh, players and coaches, do better in that regard. Any consideration for like giving Bryce a week to sit back and watch, let Dalton play to just for a pause to kind of catch his breath and figure out what's going on here? Yeah, no consideration to that. Um, you know, looking back on this tape, um, you know, he did a lot of good things. Um, you know, it's important for him and for us. He's our leader. He's our leader on offense, and he's going he's gonna to help us get to where we want to go.
the Tepper thing. Um, the reports out there that you're on the hot seat right now. Um, that can become a distraction to a locker room, to you doing your job. What, where do you stand on that? Is that a becoming a distraction? Um, no, I just focused on getting ready for Tennessee. Um, focused on today, getting into that film, uh, learn from it, learn how we can coach it better, play it better, then quickly get your ears, uh, your eyes and ears and everything out towards your next opponent. Uh, we talk about it in there all the time. This is a week-to-week -week league, and uh, we all know what we sign up for when we get in this business. So I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm comfortable with that. Just keep working, put, put your head down, and focus on your work. Um, so I don't think that's not a distraction. Frank, during the week, it seems like it is a mellow environment in the locker room. Everybody's getting along. There is like a shared vision. But do you think at some point there it becomes like it's too comfortable? You talk about the, the healthy, you know, kind of tension. Do you think there needs to be more tension at one and nine? Um, I don't. I think, uh, listen, I think coaches and players, um, there's a lot of honest talk when we turn on the film, and there's a lot of hard coaching, and there's a lot of uh, player to player, you know. And honestly, we get we start watching the tape, and before we can hold a player accountable, they're holding themselves accountable. Um, you know, I'll show a tape and I'm ready to, you know, and I'm getting ready to make some corrections. And before I can even say them, the guys are standing up and call, that's my, that's on me, coach. That's, you know, and he's telling the whole room, that's on me. I can, I got to do better there. You know, as coaches, we're, hey, I got to do a better job of putting you guys in position on this play right here. I got to, we got to coach that better. You know, that little aspect of that play, that could have been coached better. Um, that's pretty dynamic and in a good way. Um, because the guys want to win. The guys are uh, high-character guys willing to take accountability. So I think there's, I think we have the right amount of healthy tension. Frank, you, last week you discussed a rotation at left guard, but um, snap counts show that you played the entire, you stayed, played the starting lineup the entire game. Yeah. Uh, what was your reasoning, and was there any consideration to switch up personnel? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, I, in game, you know, we I always talk with Campy beforehand. Hey, here's a general plan, and you know, we had talked about po possible rotation. Um, there was at one point we were going to make a rotation, and then it got later in the game and in the fourth quarter. Um, and so, in game like that, I just kind of leave it up to the position coaches. We we talk beforehand, um, spell it out clearly what we're looking for, and then because they're have a feel they're with the guys on the side they kind of know and a lot of times like for example one of the guys will come up and say hey I'm going to make this switch you know you know and I'll give him the thumb you know the thumbs up so uh, that's always kind of a week-to-week -week thing is Chandler going to still be the starter there uh, we haven't talked about that yet from the outside looking in we don't know all the blocking protections I know critics they're going to weigh in on what they see with their eyes from an interior standpoint where are you at with those three players um Listen, I, I love our group. I love our group, and, um, you know, we're just going to continue. I think they – and I love Campy and Cougs as the coaches. Um, you know, I think that group is uh, – you know, like I said, we made some good progress in the run game. We just need to translate that to pass protection and find a way to be better pass protectors. So uh, those interior guys did a great job in the run game. Uh, now we just got to get things a little tightened up in the pass game.
Let's wrap up with David. You love your guys up front on your offensive line. I was curious, the, the pass protection has been an issue all year. What did you see during your evaluation during the offseason of this group that made you believe they can be good pass protectors? I mean, I think the main thing in the evaluation uh, coming and when you were looking at the tape from last year, what stuck out was the run game. You know, there's no question about that. We all know that. We all know what this team did um, in the second half of the season um, playing the brand of football that they were playing. It wasn't a bunch of drop back passes, you know, so not as much evidence for that for, hey, you get a, you know, you get a number, you know, you get Bryce Young and you're going to spread it out and, you know, kind of do different things, not play the same brand that we played last year here. Um, but what I saw, there was good evidence. It was just a different style, a different brand of offense. I told you, some really, really pointed questions and some very hard questions directed right at Frank Reich. And look, he's a football coach. He knows these questions are coming. I mean, they're talking to him about whether or not he's talked to David Tepper. They're asking him whether or not you're going to fire coaches and make staffing changes. And what's going on? Like, there's a lot going on here. And look, Frank handled it gracefully because he knows this comes with a job. And he also knows that when you're one and nine and you have the worst record in the NFL, things like this are going to happen. You also have to wonder about whether or not Scott Fitter is going to talk to the media anytime soon because I've said many times, and I'm on the record, I think Scott Fitterer is in bigger danger than Frank Reich. I could be wrong. I could be completely wrong because you don't know what David Tepper is thinking as the owner, but I just have a hard time thinking that they're going to get rid of another coaching staff a year into it when things are so bad. Just I mean, I, again, like whose idea was it to draft Bryce Young? A lot of people, including a lot of the NFL experts, think still think it's a good idea. Just they don't have anything around him to help him. But there's a lot of people who wonder if David Tepper is going to pull the plug on this Frank Wright coaching staff. I, I, Again, I'm on record as saying I don't think so. Not this year. Maybe next year. Maybe after year two. Maybe after year three or two and a half like he gave Matt Rule. But I, I just don't see that. Scott Fitterer, the general manager, that's a different story. All right. When we come back, a couple other things before we send you off into the weekend. And I am Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Wednesday night. Final segment before it's official. The weekend has begun. Even though it's a Wednesday night, the weekend will begin, or at least begin for me, coming up at 8 o'clock. you got Thursday with Thanksgiving, then Friday's Black Friday. And then you've got Saturday and Sunday and a lot of football between now and then. And don't forget, Charlie Brown's Thanksgiving. I'll watch that tonight as well. I watch all the Charlie Brown holiday stuff. Love it. It goes in this order. Charlie Brown Christmas, Charlie Brown Halloween, and then Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving, like I said. And it's funny how some people love it and some people dread it. Like, I actually spoke to a neighbor today, and he was on both sides. He goes... Uh, I got to go to the in-laws tomorrow and we're only going to be there for about an hour and a half, maybe two hours at the most. I just want to get in, get out, and then we're going to spend the rest of the day with my family. Now, I was immediately wondering if the wife felt the same way about his in-law, her in-laws, as he felt about his in-laws. People either love Thanksgiving or it's okay. Like Thanksgiving, I, I love everything surrounding Thanksgiving, the football. I love the fall weather. We used to play football all the time. We used to have our, you know, our turkey ball is what we used to call it with all the neighborhood kids playing football and everything. It was great. 
it was absolutely great. But I mean, you know, people move on and things happen and people pass on. And right now it's just me and my mom. That's it. Nobody else. And like I said, Beth and them were giving me grief about it the other day. And they've got all these big families and everything's like, okay, it's, it's me and mom. It's just, that's who it is. My brother and all them are up north in Philadelphia. So it's just me and mom. And we're going to hang out and we'll eat some really good food because where she lives has really, really good food. And they'll carve it for us right there and they'll put it on our plates and then we'll eat. And then I got to go home. And I've been invited to like two other Thanksgivings. I know a couple of years ago, I did three Thanksgivings in one day and that was rather difficult. I don't plan on doing that. I've done that a couple of times. I may do two Thanksgivings tomorrow. I'm not sure yet. We'll see. Um, one at lunch and then one maybe around four or five o'clock, but we'll see. But look, I love Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving, but, and July 4th, those are my two favorite holidays. I mean, I really get into that. And Christmas is obviously a good time too, but I really do enjoy it because again, the food and everything else, but it's funny how people are like, oh, I don't want to be with a family. Oh, my cousin. Oh, my gosh. That uncle, that aunt. Oh, my God. I got to see my sister-in-law. She's a train wreck. Or or my nieces and nephews are just wild devils, and they're not under control. So it's just wild. Or you get the other exact opposite. Oh, my God. I can't wait to see my brother. I haven't seen him in a year or my sister or my family or whatever. So it goes to both ends of the spectrum. And the same thing with Christmas. And that's why it's, I, I find it somewhat comical because there's always seems to be drama. Do you remember a few years ago, they were telling you not to talk politics at the family dinner table because it was just too many arguments and fights were being started between the Republicans and the Democrats at the dinner table. That's where we are now. Congratulations, America. That's where we are. All right, well, look, I hope everyone does have a nice Thanksgiving tomorrow. And if you can't have a nice Thanksgiving tomorrow, if it becomes annoying or whatever, at least enjoy the football games and really enjoy Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Enjoy, if you can't enjoy the first part of having to deal with all the family and people that you maybe don't want to see or don't get along with, but you have to because you're obligated, you know, after you leave there, enjoy all the football games. Then you've got all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And then you can start work again on Monday. But you still have three days to try and get over Thanksgiving Day. Unless, of course, you're out of town and you're staying about three or four days with them. Then I can't help you. Then you're on your own. That means just, just I don't know, what drink heavily. I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I don't know what to tell you. Or just you know sit in the car and listen to the radio. Sit in the car and listen to WBT because we'll be on air all day Thursday and all day Friday with our regular shows. Nonetheless... Have a great holiday. Have a great weekend. And I do have a show on Monday. I know normally I don't, but I actually have a show on Monday, and it it could be a major one in all sincerity. So look forward to talking to you guys then. I'm Brett Jensen. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and you've been listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen.